What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my co-host, Dan Favalli. Uh, we have made it through the first wave of a wild free agency period. It feels like if we were put on a uh, Who He Play For episode right now that like everyone would fail because there's been so much player movement that it's impossible to keep track of everyone who's in a certain location. As we're recording this, um, you know, we're still waiting to see whether Gordon Hayward, who signed a four-year, $120 million contract with the Charlotte Hornets is going to be going there after they wave and stretch Nicholas Batum, or if there might be like a a retroactive sign-and-trade happening. So players are flying all over the place. Transaction details are are wild. We're trying to figure it out as we go, but that is not going to stop us from doing some winners and losers of the early-slash-main part of free agency. Uh, before we get into that, a shout out to our sponsors, Indeed and BetOnline.ag. You'll be hearing from both of them shortly. And then Dan, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well over here. And to your point about not, well, first, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Like I said, I'm just like scrambling to figure out who plays for whom at this point. And that's, so I was actually going to comment on that is to your point, and you know this, uh, and I can apologize to our listeners. We had draft reaction. Uh, we had a draft reaction pod lined up with the guests and everything, I got incredibly sick uh, to the point where my wife insisted I go get tested for COVID because I couldn't stand and I'd never have body aches like that. Came back negative, luckily. Um, I might have just gotten hit by a truck with the flu or whatever it was, still getting over it. But it was NBA draft night, and this isn't to toot my own horn, but you know me. like It's going to take something like catastrophic to rip me away from that. I missed the first part of the NBA draft. Uh, I had a call out of sick from, from Bleacher Report. Like I just couldn't function and they were more than happy to let me. So I appreciate that again, because that's one of the busiest nights of the year. And in this case, it was 48 hours before the start of free agency. So having missed like the beginning of the draft because I was passed out and then even just not even really like paying attention to it, I was following it along on Twitter, but I was in just such a bad state the next day. So Thursday when I didn't really feel better, but I had more energy after sleeping, I like totally missed like some of the moves like I forgot that Patrick Williams went number four I was trying to figure out what happened with some of the trades we joke about trying to figure this stuff out but like I was actually completely in the dark about things were happening and I was also really sick or indisposed at the time of when the Warriors uh acquired Kelly Uber I think I think that was the move or there might have been another move where I just didn't even know that it happened um, it might not have been that one because I think it was on draft night or really close to it. So that was like my experience. We're always fumbling in real time to do this, 
But when you just punt on it and not pay attention to it, and then like you come back to it and have to try and figure it out, it's such a mess. Well, two points. One, just to underscore like how hard it is to drag Dan away from this stuff, you would not believe how many times I and friend of the pod, Jacob Bourne, have texted Dan just being like, go to sleep. Just like stop trying to pull your third all-nighter of the week. Like you need to sleep. So that's one thing. So like the fact that he actually did have to step away proves that he really did get hit by a bus. And the second thing is I think sometimes when you're more entrenched in national league coverage that it's harder to wrap your head around some of these changes just because we spend so much time talking about these players and thinking about these players that their locations are so ingrained and it's hard to remind yourself that hey player x no longer plays for team y he's wearing a new jersey we have to like completely wrap our heads around those changes and i think it's a lot harder when you've spent so much time like explicitly covering these players then you know, if, if you're a fan and watching the games and, and you're thinking about them during the games, but not necessarily between them, which, you know, no, no knocks on that kind of fandom. But I, I think it makes it a little bit easier to process the transaction heavy periods of the NBA calendar. Yeah, I mean, without question, just being able to zero in and that doesn't make, you know, uh, covering a single team is harder in the sense that you have to continue to come up with content and coverage for that team. So like the busy periods might be great, but like you go through the doldrums, you're not talking about all 29 others. So there's, there's trade-offs each way, but I do love this time of year. And the, the funny thing is we get in, this is a perfect time to do the winners and losers is maybe our impressions of this will change over the course because one, the games have yet to be played, but there have even been moves that I've kind of wavered on since they happen. Like you provide this instant analysis or you you have your own reflexive reaction. And then you think about it and you're like, oh, is that actually so good? Was it so bad? Like, you know, to I, w- I wouldn't call them necessarily, this isn't the move that make would make them a loser, but the Celtics using their entire mid-level on Tristan Thompson, I, I gave that a B, I think in real time. I was doing live grades for it. And like after just thinking on it more, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, good for Tristan Thompson for getting his money. That's the other thing I'll say on all this is I want every single player, I'll say most players. I don't really necessarily like every single player as a person. I want players to get paid. They deserve to get the money. The criticisms are more about the teams giving out bad contracts. Uh, but with Boston, it's like, you know, you have Daniel Tice there. You have Robert Williams III. Uh, what happened at the Miles Turner talks for the, in the Gordon Hayward sign-and-trade fell apart. Um, I can't grade the Thompson signing solely based off that, but you just used your best spending tool on, a, on another big uh, so I, I, like, that's just a move. I don't know if that happens to you where you like have one reaction, but then you almost completely tilt the other direction after some more critical thought. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, I, I think Boston is an interesting place to start just because I, I've seen them labeled as losers, uh, in, in quite a few places, mostly because of the Gordon Hayward situation where this is the latest, uh, big name free agent who they've lost, um, in unrestricted fashion, unless there is this retroactive sign and trade, which seems like it is still a possibility. But after Kyrie Irving left and Al Horford left and now Hayward left without bringing anything back in return for Boston, it's kind of it's kind of being viewed as a knock against the front office. But at the same time, like, you know, even if you don't love the Tristan Thompson move, like he and Jeff Teague, who are the the big quote unquote additions for them this offseason, like that is still quality depth on a team that already has that front end talent. The the thing that I think is being overblown is so like the Kyrie Irving departure, like you can hold that against him. We don't necessarily know what happened in that locker room, but him leaving, I think, actually ended up helping the team because they replaced him with Kemba Walker, a comparably good player who's a better fit for what was happening around them. And then with Horford and Hayward specifically, they sh- they would have been criticized for probably giving out those contracts. 
So, like, the Horford deal is not aged well. No one expects the Hayward deal to age well. The Hornets look like losers in all this, for sure. Uh, Gordon Hayward is a monster winner. If you want to knock Boston for anything, I think the two things you can focus on are maybe even three. Look, there's the Tristan Thompson signing, but at that point in free agency, I don't know that they could have funneled that toward a wing. Like, they had already let someone like an Alec Burks pass, was already with the Knicks on one year, $6 million. Uh, you know, I look at things like why did they let Brad Wanamaker go? Didn't even give him a qualifying offer. I think he would have been a better fit than Jeff Teague. Not as good of a, of a playmaker, but a better defender. And uh, the other thing that you could knock them for is the Gordon Hayward trade talks with Indiana because it seemed like Hayward really wanted to go there. If they were really asking for Turner and then either Oladipo or TJ Warren, if that was their asking price... Like they, a little unrealistic. They, I would have taken the, I think Just the deal slightly. that was reported, McDermott and Turner for Gordon Hayward, I absolutely positively would have done. And I think Turner you could point, would have been a perfect fit with that lineup. Right. I totally you, agree. You could point to like Turner not necessarily having the girth to stand up to a Joel Embiid, but like, you know, Tristan Thompson's not really going to do that for you either. And who, like, first of all, there aren't many Joel Embiid's, which is like kind of the point. Like you, you're not going to get... Uh, yeah, unless it's Marcus all comes out of hibernation, like between four to, to 10 nights a year, depending on which conference he's in to, uh, you know, go up against 12 beat and win the battle. There are just so few bigs that are going to do that. And I don't look at Tristan Thompson as the guy that's going to fix that. The other thing he does is he's always, this might change, but he's always been a better offensive rebounder and they need help on the defensive glass. I think they were actually like top 10 or top five in offensive rebounding rate last year. So I understand calling them losers, but like the not matching the Hayward deal specifically to me is not what makes them a loser. Agreed wholeheartedly. I don't think they come anywhere close to the biggest loser competition. Um, for me, that would just unquestionably be the Detroit Pistons who have apparently gone from the bad boys era in the 1980s to the big boys era of the 2020s. Um, it, it, their, their offseason got off to like a, a decently promising start with their three first round draft picks, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, and Isaiah Stewart. And then they just decided that, you know, in, in an era in which the NBA is fully trending towards versatile bigs and small ball, that they were going to sign all of the centers. So Mason Plumlee comes aboard and Jaleel Okafor comes aboard and Dwayne Dedman comes aboard briefly. And then they still go out and sign Jeremy Grant and make a flyer on Josh Jackson, which is like their one redeeming move, I think. And when Josh Jackson is your redeeming move of free agency, then, then yeah, you've solidified yourself in the biggest loser category. I didn't understand what they were doing. It makes no sense. Like I, I'm just I'm still flabbergasted when you look at it. Uh, and look, they might need another big because they traded away Tony Bradley, so they should probably hurry up and sign another one. I'm still trying to figure out, unless I've missed another detail of that um, Zaire Smith for Tony Bradley trade, and then the Pistons are going to wave and stretch um, Zaire Smith. I don't understand that for like either team at all. So I'm still trying to wrap my head around the Pistons offseason. But yeah, look, the I think so you could justify it like Jaleel Okafor won't cost much, so that's fine. But like the Mason Plumley contract was genuinely curious and I you know, he came That's a very very generous way of putting it. Look, it was bad because like it well I wanted like 3 years. Like I don't I, my other thing too is like yes, Christian would cost more, but like you I feel like it would have been better like you could leave Jaleel Okafor don't take Mason Plumley, and then, you know, just try and sign Grant and Christian Wood would have been the way to go. Like, th those two can still play together. And the other thing that I find, I don't know if it's as damaging, but, like, they weren't the team that could give Jeremy Grant $20 million a year. It's, 
as a player in theory, for them, he's tantalizing. Shot 39-plus percent from three over the past uh, two seasons. Uh, he can guard almost every position. I'd say he has, like, four-position range. At the same time, now you're putting him in a situation where I don't know if his offense is as valuable. He wants a bigger role, but he didn't show a ton of ability to work. He he didn't have that flexibility in Oklahoma City, um, and he didn't really show enough of it in Denver. Like, there were times where he was attacking the basket or dribbling in transition, and I don't, like, remember any of them as positively memorable. So, like, this could end up – it seems like he wanted this situation, which good on him for wanting to test himself and plumb the depth of his offense. But, like, I don't know that they have the talent necessary – to maximize Jeremy Grant on offense. And yeah, whatever he does for them on defense is great. But like, if he if he doesn't live up to snuff on offense, if he's not at least a well above average, high volume three-point shooter for them, like that contract is still going to tilt in a poor direction. And you did all this without having settled the matter of like, what are we doing with Blake Griffin and Derek Rose? And I don't know, I guess looking at the moves this in this free agency, like we should assume they have DeLon Wright too, which I guess like that's a solid flyer to take. But I guess they're trying to compete in the East next season. Like, I don't look at this as a playoff roster right now, but no, definitely not. And the, the East is getting better too. That's the other thing. Right. So like, if you, you have to look at who do you expect to fall out of the Eastern conference playoff contention? And I'm, I'm going through Maybe the, Orlando, like, but you have Atlanta right there had a better off season. Right. So like, you're going to get into a Atlanta fight. Atlanta should, we, we can move on to Atlanta shortly, but yeah. Right, so you're going to have, like, let's say there's this three-way rock fight for the AC between Charlotte and Orlando and Detroit. Like, that's maybe, and Atlanta, like, and throw Atlanta, if I didn't mention they were two. Like, that's, like, what you spent all this money for. And it's not even for guys that I think you look at and say they're great fits for the roster, where, look, as we get into the Hawks now, I think there'll probably be, there'll be some split, and maybe a lot of it depends on the Bogdan Bogdanovich outcome, but maybe some people think they shouldn't have, uh, spent their money and like they're bringing in, you know, I think Bogdanovich is 28 and Gallinari is 32 and uh, Rondo is Rondo Uh, at the same time. Like at least those guys make sense for the roster. And I don't know that any of these moves for Detroit, like I I don't look at them and think like, Oh, that's like, they made a, like that, that was good by them. But you know, I think they got, I guess they got good value for Luke Kennard in that trade, but they gave up four seconds in that deal, if I'm not mistaken. So They've had a, I, I, the kind way to put it would be a curious offseason, but Detroit is certainly a loser for me too. A very kind way to put it. I think the one saving grace here is that I think that Detroit is going to be very near the top of the lottery odds coming out of this upcoming season. And the 2021 NBA draft is extremely guard and wing heavy at the top. If you look through any of the early mock drafts at this point, the only like pseudo big man who is projected to go in the lottery is Evan Mobley. Um, who's going to be a freshman at USC. So naturally, that's probably who they'll end up taking. Yeah, and it was, just to clarify myself, I knew it was four second-round picks. I wanted to make sure they were all coming from Detroit. Um, They are, and then three of them are actually Detroit's own second-round picks, which is a pretty big gamble, 2024, 2025, and 2026. Look, second-round picks are second-round picks. At the same time, like those could end up being in the low to mid-30s. So and I like Sadiq Bey, though. Like I think that was mostly a good value play, but why did it require so many second-round picks? I have no answers. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Well, Indeed is here to help. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. 
You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of, of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Wanted to talk about Atlanta. Are they a winner or a loser for you? I think they're. I think they have to be one of the bigger winners of this offseason. You know, you can you can knock the ages of those big additions because they don't necessarily fit the timeline. But as we've seen with so many young stars, like you have to win before they're extension eligible, so that you don't run the risk of them wanting to leave. So. Trey Young has made it clear to the Hawks that he wants to win now. The Hawks have made it clear that they want to win now. And they have a roster now that that can very much do so, regardless of whether the Kings match that Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, offer sheet that he signed with Atlanta. So if he is there, they're looking at a starting lineup now of Trey Young, Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, John Collins, and Clint Capella. And you know you can switch some of these pieces around. And that still leaves... Chris Dunn, Rajon Rondo, Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Solomon Hill, maybe, Onyeka Okongwu uh, on the bench. You know, that this is a deep team where the biggest problem is going to be finding a way to get everyone who wants and deserves minutes into the rotation. And that is a great problem to have for a franchise that did not have that high-end veteran talent that it could rely upon and had no options behind Trey Young. So all of a sudden, you're looking at multiple guys who can create for themselves on offense and in Chris Dunn and Rajon Rondo, two really good passers who can keep things moving even when Young isn't on the floor. I, I mean, you, you mentioned that Atlanta might be in that rock fight for the eight seed. I feel like they're a playoff lock in the Eastern Conference with this roster. So the East is so tough because I don't I don't I don't want to spoil taste on other teams, but like I don't know like how good Miami is gonna be. Like their offseason has been fine. Boston loses Hayward. Uh Toronto lost Abaca and Gasol, but they have Baines, and, and I like you know I'm going to like the Chris Boucher signing. So, in terms of playoff locks, though, I feel like there's is there even a clear number one team in the East right now? And no. so maybe that favors Atlanta, but it could also hurt them because if I had to pick locks, I'll say right now Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Indiana. I'll still throw in there Miami, the Sixers, and the Nets. So that's seven. So if you're calling the Hawks a lock. That's it, which is fine, but like you're not leaving any wiggle room for, and I don't know necessarily why you need to, but yeah, uh, who are Char- you leaving it for? I mean, Lamelo Ball is not ready to lead a playoff charge. Is it, Gordon Hayward is good, but can we rely on him? I so I and think we, beyond that, like who's there? Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier aren't leading playoff charges, right? And I think what you're saying, which isn't unfair. But is is a little bit of risk is that the Hawks will be decidedly better than both the Wizards and the Orlando Magic, and I, I'm pretty comfortable saying that. It doesn't make me uncomfortable to hear you say that. And like uh, I don't know, I, I don't know that I'm comfortable putting like the Pacers ahead of them. I. If, you know, it's it, it's upsetting the established hierarchy that we've seen in previous seasons, but you know, looking at at the rosters, and again, this assumes that the pieces fit together and everything, but like, this Atlanta team is really talented now. Maybe I'm putting on too much of a homer hat here. Well, I think we... Trey Young is a legit star. 
And there is so much versatile talent around him now. So I'm so the few things I concern me is one we have to wait and see what happens with the Bogdanovich signing like that right. that'll definitely matter. Two is I, I need to see what their defense is going to look like. Are you going to have um you know Bogey and Gallo and Trey Young on the court at the same time for points? Uh, Bogey at least you know like Gallo he has good size and he's better defensively than Gallo is, but like that's going to be three I would say negative defenders on the floor. And that's not, we haven't said anything about John Collins, who seems like he got better, like looking at, if you want a traditional big defense, but I don't know, looking at someone who might have to play more power forward, like how he'll end up being. I think the fit with Capella will be fine offensively. There are a lot of question marks for me. It wouldn't surprise me if they were one year away. If you told me they were definitely getting bogey, I think I might default to putting them in my eight. I don't know if I would call them locks. I'd be far more inclined to call Indiana locks than Atlanta, just because of what Indiana did last year, basically without Oladipo being healthy. So it doesn't necessarily matter to me if they trade him or not, and they're just running it back. See, I kind of wonder about the Oladipo fit in general. Like, if he is still there, are there chemistry concerns off the court? Are there chemistry concerns on the court as he's trying to reestablish himself as a star ahead of his free agency, which isn't necessarily in the best interest of the team? Can I do um, one of my winners now? Absolutely. I'm going to pick the Oklahoma City Thunder. And this isn't me trying to romanticize future draft picks, but one, you know, legitimately holy crap. Two, like kudos for them to like really leaning into the rebuild, which is not necessarily easy to do in the market that they're in. We've seen a lot of other small markets strive to avoid this. They've just burned the entire thing from last season down. They let Gallo walk. Maybe, you know, you can look at his regret that they didn't work out a sign and trade or they didn't move him at the deadline, uh, but they were really good last year. So it, I don't also don't think it necessarily matters that they didn't get an asset for him uh, when they got so many assets elsewhere. Uh, just moving Chris Paul, uh, even get, they got a first round pick in the Steven Adams trade. Like that's was borderline inexplicable from New Orleans on my part, knowing that it kind of took them out of using the entire MLE and Adams is coming off the books after next year, and he's not really a great fit with Zion Williamson. Like that didn't feel like the move to give up the. I think it's a Denver twenty twenty three lottery protected pick, and yes, Denver should be really good, but like you're not right now. So but keep the first round picks. Uh, I digress though. But it was moves just like that. Uh, even the Dennis Schroeder deal, like it was, you got Danny Green back, an extra first round pick, and then you're able to uh, move Danny Green to Philly for, yeah, we'll take on Al Horford's money, but you got two first round picks out of that deal. Like th- these were good value plays, and we don't know what those draft picks are going to become, but that's why Sam Presti has no fewer than one billion. He's giving Oklahoma City all these bites at the apples, or because these future picks are romanticized, if they get to a point in a year or two where Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been extended and he is already all-star material and they have one or two high draft picks, they can go out and make that trade for the next disgruntled star if they want to. I don't know if that's what they're looking to do. They might just want to draft and develop with him, whatever, that's fine. They have all these options now, and I really commend them for not trying to tow both lines because I do think that's tempting at points where they could have just been like, you know, Schroeder and Adams are coming off the books anyway. We'll just trade CP three and like, let's just be done with it. And like, they still have moves that they could make to get more assets uh, because this is going to be one of those moments where it's like, is he on their team? But George Hill is in Oklahoma city now. Uh, To the best of our knowledge. Right. Uh, And it feels like fate and complete that he'll eventually be traded to the Clippers or the Celtics by the end of the season for something. I don't know what it'll be. So like they they still have things that that they could do and ditto for Trevor Ariza who is now on his 400th team of the week 
um, and could very well be moved on once more. Uh, Al Horford could still get something for them. You know, if he plays what if Al well Horford around reboots the his value this season, someone exactly. will talk to themselves well into Al Horford as a net positive asset after this year if he plays really well. And because Presti is going to work more wizardry, but yeah, I, I, I would be shocked if they didn't make some sort of move for the next disgruntled star, just because there there are too many first round picks to use them all. There are only so many roster spaces available right. on it, for for any one NBA franchise, and you you just you cannot bring in that many rookies year after year. They've so done like, it. They've it's going to happen at some point. They've done a good job spreading them out, though, where it's like you don't look at any one draft, and it's like, That's well, they're for each year. It's like where they're not going to have seven picks in the twenty twenty two NBA draft. So it's like they they at least have that balance. But but I'm with you. And the one thing that I hope that happens as a result of all this is I, I want to see Darius Baisley gone wild, and I hope that they're open to playing him at the five, the three, the four. I just want to see a lot of Darius Baisley next season, obviously in addition to Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And I think the last thing I'll say on them, the, the Horford contract isn't great, but I think they were well compensated for it. But two, the veterans you have right now, let's just assume they don't trade them. George Hill and Horford are like, they're mostly plug and play. And so like, they're not going to disrupt anything that's happening, whether they're happy is a different story, but like these are guys who are not going to infringe upon the development of uh, the youngsters. And I'm specifically talking about Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, you could say Lou Dort if you want to, and then Darius Baisley as well, obviously. So uh, they're they're fascinating moving forward. I think they did a great job of you know the thing that I didn't mention is there are 14 teams now in the West that are going to fancy themselves playoff hopefuls, and they were 15 until the Thunder tore it down. For them to sort of recognize like what was going on in the West too, yeah, I, I, you have to commend them for that. 100 um, percent i'll move on to a, another kind of non-traditional winner and that's the new york knicks I, I don't think that we've said that in a long time um and and the reason is just that they accepted their situation now we've seen so many times in the last decade plus that the knicks have tried to you know take shortcuts and expedite the rebuilding process and it backfires inevitably because they're the knicks but this time they accepted that they were the Knicks and actually did the right thing, which is make these minor on the fringe moves and exhibit some sort of patience, you know, waiting for the right opportunity, waiting to see which of their young guys is going to develop without overloading the roster with more veterans. I love the OB top and Mitchell Robinson fit in the front court. Um, as I've told you on the side, uh, bringing in Austin Rivers is an interesting move, uh, not because he and Jeremy Lin are probably the two best point guards that New York has had in decades, um, but just because he's a legitimate option who can help contribute to the development of guys like RJ Barrett, like Kevin Knox, who are going to be featured options. Alec Burks adds some level of veteran legitimacy to to the roster. There was nothing glamorous about this offseason, which is the point, and that's good for the Knicks in this current situation. I would agree with you. It's funny that that's like the bar is they didn't do anything dumb. So let's call them winners. Uh, this this is I, I I agree with everything you said. I think the two most important additions they made were Burks and Rivers, just because they didn't have anyone who could really effectively create off the dribble after the Marcus Morris trade. And the fact that Marcus Morris was being used in that vein so heavily. Um, was probably untenable anyway. So to get guys in Alec Burks and Austin Rivers, both of whom shot uh, pretty well off of off the dribble threes last year. Austin Rivers was at 35.9%. I think Alec Burks might have been closer to 40%. I didn't have his number in front of me for some reason. I think those moves were good. 
Uh, Nerlens Noel, the fit is questionable, but they got good value on the deal. I just question whether they have enough shooting around him to, for it to work on offense. And the move that I'd like to see them make, obviously you don't want to give up compensation for this, is you have to get Julius Randle out of there because he probably needs to be played at the five at this point, but he can't defend there. He can't defend at the four anyway. Uh, if you have him on the floor, though, that's one non-shooter at the spot directly next to the five where you have Mitchell Robinson or Noel right now. And then having those two, I'd rather see them get center minutes than Julius Randle at this point, too. That seems to be the move. And then it unlocks um, Toppin, just giving him more minutes. And I would have liked to have seen them. And I don't know if it would have been realistic because it's fine that they didn't pay Fred Van Fleet. Maybe they tried to. Who knows? It doesn't seem like they did. Uh, but once you got past Van Fleet and Dragic, like the point guard market was not great. I would have liked to have seen any sort of alternative to Alfred Payton, though. He was fine last year, one year, five million. It's effectively six million because they paid him one million to waive his other deal, whatever. Like the deal is fine. But they need guys to get Mitchell Robinson and top in the ball, like to set them up for shots. And like they just don't have that right now. Uh, Barrett isn't that player yet. He could be. And I think having a player who's kind of better at it, at least someone who can shoot and create rather, and, and is a threat to score in general, where Alfred Payton is more so just a, a fairly good passer. Um, that would help Barrett too, just to alleviate the defensive attention that he's going to see when he's on the ball. But I don't know. I'm saying this knowing that I, I also don't know what the bigger swing could have been just because the Look, point you can, you could be more transparent here. We all know that the real desire is the unending ceaseless, want for Frank Natilikina to get more minutes. Like, that's why you're hating on the Alfred Payton. Uh, look, I'm already scheduling tweets for why um, Frank Natilikina is not getting minutes over Dennis Smith Jr., or Frank Natilikina is not getting minutes over, uh, I won't say R.J. Barrett, that's actually mean. Frank Natilikina, like, is not getting minutes over Jacob Evans or something at this point, because the Knicks have him. I also thought, the, by the way, I thought the Amari Spellman pickup was just kind of interesting. I know you said that he was one of the, what did you say to me? Um, he was he played like one of the dumbest players I've ever watched when he was with the Atlanta Hawks. And the rumor was that he just they 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 ended up moving him because he wasn't picking up the offense whatsoever and just like didn't get the play calling and and didn't know where he was supposed to be. He just intrigued me as someone who was moving well in Golden State and then shot like on standstill jumpers a fairly high clip and then we just never really heard from him again in Minnesota. So like I just thought like these were all just interesting moves they I, 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 they're winners. I, I totally agree. I don't think that people should read into them conserving cap space as, oh, they're going to be one of the favorites to get a Giannis or a Kawhi or a Paul George or a LeBron in 2021 free agency. Um, I think what they did here was smart. They didn't sign anybody. Uh, you know, forget about the length of the deals. We know Rivers has the non-guaranteed on the final two years. They just didn't sign anyone who disrupts their timeline in any way or who should take away from the development of their youth. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah. 
ultimately this offseason, I've, I found that it's kind of hard to find many losers. Right, um, but I have maybe one. Maybe it's just because we've lowered the bar so much, but I do have one. All right. I do have one, if, if I could, or unless you want to go next. Is it the sh- it next. is my turn, but is it going to be a shared loser anyway? Like, we already kind of had, like, the, the meh for Boston. Like, did we call them a loser? I think I'd probably classify them as a loser. I think it was going to be Charlotte. I mean, I think they're a loser. That's not who I was going to focus on. So, All right, so, so let's talk about – we touched on them before, but we didn't really get into it. I understand that Gordon Hayward also isn't someone who necessarily disrupts what LaMelo Ball is going to do. He should still have plenty of opportunity. But, like, you just didn't pay Kemba Walker, and then you decided to pay Gordon Hayward. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And Kemba Walker, insofar as there's going to be fans allowed back in arenas ever, he puts more butts in the seats than Gordon Hayward does. And just looking at Gordon Hayward's injury history right now, Four years and 120 million makes zero sense. You might have been able to spin like three years, 90, three years, even 100, just to get that length off of there. And here's the problem. If it stays this way, and this doesn't, isn't going to help the optics much, if you have to wave and stretch what became one of the worst contracts in the NBA to make room for what people are already deeming one of the worst contracts, new worst contracts in the NBA, that's a real problem. And look, I don't necessarily care how you want to look at it like Batum being on the books effectively for nine million dollars over the next three years if it happens uh you can look at that like as paying Gordon Hayward 39 million dollars for the first three years of his deal um there are also other ways to spin it was like if they had Batum they were still going to have to pay him this year so does this season really count and it's like well yeah because if you're going to wave and stretch him anyway like you could have spent that money on smarter players or doing different trades um and also if you were going to wave and stretch him you might have had more cap space to play with in general in addition to signing Gordon Hayward. Like you could have structured your offseason differently there. This is not an original joke, but I laughed when I heard it. I was listening to the Dunk Don pod, and they said that the Hornets just seem like their next move is going to be Hassan, to sign Hassan Whiteside. Like that seems like it would be the perfect cap to their offseason. And I don't understand what they're doing. I know that, as I say, we romanticize draft picks. We can romanticize the idea of tanking. They weren't necessarily tanking by being left alone. Like you just drafted LaMelo Ball. And had you been able to get Hayward and maybe at a reasonable price, like you want, or a shorter contract, like if this was, this never would have been Danilo Gallinari money, but if it was Danilo Gallinari, like if you put him on this team at that contract, I don't hate it as much. And so I think I get the sentiment of what they're trying to do, uh, unless that they actually think that they're trying to win next season, in which case that's just absolutely absurd. But this was just not the time to do it. You needed to give yourself at least another year. Let the Batum contract come off the books organically. And now you're just saddled, again, assuming it goes down this way, with this hit. I don't understand the justification from their end at all. And it's, even if you like the idea of Gordon Hayward, paying $120 million for someone who had his healthiest year last season, but was still dealing with health problems, and just when even ever since he's come back from that leg injury, uh, leg injury, and yes, it was devastating. Like, just hasn't really been the same player when you're attacking in space. Like, yes, he can do more with higher usage. I have no doubt about that. Like, you give him a bigger role, he might do more. I don't expect him to even come close to making any sort of All Star team in the East on the Hornets if he's going to be their number one or you know, number two option. So I don't understand the logic here at all. And I'm also wondering if because you have him, because you have Rozier, and now you have Lamelo, if we're going to start hearing talk about. Uh, Devontae Graham trades just because he's going to be a free agent next summer and you've already paid Gordon Hayward you have a mellow ball his cap isn't isn't exactly small um no you don't get rid of Devontae Graham because you have Terry Rozier but he's on the books for you know another two years at basically 18 to 19 million a pop so I'd keep an eye on Devontae Graham's future in Charlotte which I would hazard is 
not going to last very long. Agreed. Yeah, I, I got the, the Charlotte offseason got off to a great start. I, in, in my opinion, they drafted the two best guards from the 2020 NBA draft in, uh, in Lomelo Ball and Grant Riller. You know, I had to get that in there. Uh, I, I totally and, and it's it's I, I I forgive me for not even mentioning Grant Riller. That was my fault. I apologize. I was I was waiting because that was such a marquee offseason addition that we we should be really excited about, and then just let it slip right by. So I had to, but yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like they did have a good draft um, with Lamelo Ball with with getting Grant Riller that late. Nick Richards is a guy who a lot of uh, a lot of analysts um, who are who are more focused on the numbers really like. Vernon Carey Jr. might kind of be a dinosaur in today's NBA, but he also does have a tremendous amount of skill down low. Um, and they had so much cap space. And then the Hayward move, it, it just, that was, it was just so baffling. Like the fact that Bismack Biombo was their biggest front court acquisition, given all of the cap space and the glaring need that they had at the five, um, especially with all of the guards that they've added and just this overloaded backcourt that, as you said, might, require some sort of trade to 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 unclear the long the log jam like just why why was gordon hayward the big play here he doesn't even fit the timeline of this roster like even if even if he works out and justifies that 30 million dollars per year and does make an all-star team or two okay so what like he's not elevating your your ceiling high enough to be anything more than like maybe a second round playoff team in the Eastern conference. I would and say he's going to age out. Like, right. I would say this season, like their ceiling is one of the play in spots, nine or 10. Like I would be shocked if they finished top eight in the East. And remember they were pleasantly surprising last year, but they outperformed like, like their win loss record outperformed all of what the metrics said. They were bottom three in that rating. I believe and like, you know, LaMelo ball is a project. He's not a guy who's, immediately going to come in and and light the league on fire his jumper needs significant work he has no idea what he's doing on defense his passing vision is phenomenal he still makes far too many mistakes when he's controlling possessions like this is supposed to be a long-term play when you acquire him and you're now just heaping pressure onto his shoulders because he's going to be the face of the franchise, even with Gordon Hayward there. But the Hayward acquisition ensures that there are at least some expectations to compete right away. Just none of this made sense. Yeah. And it's, if you want shooting around the mellow ball one, I like, I think they had it like they had outlets because Devonte Graham can shoot. Terry Rozier is a phenomenal off ball shooter. PJ Washington, Washington shot well, yeah. and you could have signed cheaper shooting. And it's not like they, no, they don't have the most talented shot creators, but like, so much of their offense was okay last year at points because Devonte Graham can create shots and put pressure on defenses. And so if you needed that second guy um, beside LaMelo Ball, you had Devonte Graham. I understand Gordon Hayward is better than both of them, but at the money he's coming in at, it just still doesn't, doesn't make sense. And so I don't even think this is being like oversimplified either, where sometimes maybe when we cover the league nationally, we get caught up in, oh, he doesn't fit the timeline, yada, yada, yada. This was just like a bold, bare-faced, terrible move. So another another loser, um, I, w- I want to single out the Houston Rockets here uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one, most notably, you know, I'm looking at a depth chart right now, and, and the starting point guard is still Russell Westbrook, and the starting shooting guard is still James Harden. And, you know, the, the Rockets can say all they want about how they are okay with it being uncomfortable, and they're still going to run it back with those guys. But, like, you've already moved 
Trevor Ariza. PJ Tucker trade is surely going to come at some point. You're you're making it very clear that you're ready for the next era of Houston Rockets basketball. And the fact that trades haven't been found yet might mean the asking prices are a little bit too high. That's a problem in and of itself. Number two, Christian Wood, who was phenomenal at the end of the 2019-20 season. And I am a believer in Christian Wood's talent. But you still go out and pay him a pretty exorbitant contract that most notably the Pistons seem to have no interest in because the Pistons have more insight into Christian Wood than any of us do because not only did they see what he did when he was elevating his game, but they saw everything leading up to it. And if they weren't buying into that to the extent that they signed all these other big men and gave Jeremy Grant so much money, then that might be a risk that Houston shouldn't really be taking, especially if it's still committed to moving Harden and Westbrook one or both, which it should be. Third, you look at the other things that they've lost. Daryl Morey, who has had a phenomenal early offseason with the Philadelphia 76ers, just wheeling and dealing and bringing in a bunch of shooting and putting a competent, coherent roster around the Ben Simmons-Joel Embiid combination. That doesn't make you look any better for failing to retain him. And we also see Mike D'Antoni go latch on with the Brooklyn Nets as an assistant to Steve Nash, and that might not look good either. So just the optics, the roster, the direction, none of it has been good in Houston. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the Christian Wood contract, actually. I think Detroit should have paid that money to keep him. It was fair value money, under $50 million a year annually for him. Seems like that. And he's also, he's 25. So like I don't think he needs you need to get caught, too caught up in timeline with him. And then he also, like, the way he plays, if the Rockets do keep James Harden and still gravitate towards wanting to be, like, you know, super dynamic on, on offense, and I, I say dynamic, I, let's say downsize. Like he's someone else. He can put the ball on the floor. Is my point. Like he's not just someone who can shoot and space the floor and um, make sure that they're five out or at least four out at all times. Like he can put the ball on the floor and really do some stuff with it. And he's comfortable getting through traffic. So I, I'm actually okay with that contract. And I thought it was a fairly smart move by them, uh, which might say something good about the future of their front office under Raphael Stone. But as long as Tillman Fertitta is there, like they're absolutely screwed. And the, the Robert Covington, Trevor Ariza stuff. Like I, I get like the machinations of like how that was used to, you know, then help get Christian Wood. That's the stuff that makes me uneasy. And of course there's the Harden thing, like not really being able to figure that out and letting it get to a point where he went from, you know, plausibly, eventually, possibly, whatever it was phrased as being unhappy to just flat out unhappy. Uh, they're, they're clearly losers because of that. And I think, look, they're finding out they're losers all over again in that Westbrook deal, just based on the market. It's funny, like amid all this, like all the free agency rumors are flying. Then there's that talk of Westbrook for wall, um, being started. And then wall just like requests a trade at the height of free agency. And it, it felt like no one really talked about it. Like that's where we're really at. I actually do think wall, if he was healthy, is a better fit for Houston's um, beside Harden anyway than Russell Westbrook is. One, he lives to pass. So if you're going to move Harden off the ball at all, uh, why not have someone who lives to pass do that? And then Wall's been shooting like 37 38% um, on catch-and-shoot threes over his past three healthy seasons, and Westbrook has has not. I'll just I'll put it that way. Um, but that was just like sort of a fun aside. I'm with you, though. Houston's a loser in the macro, but they actually kind of have like one nice deal as part of all this, and I believe they're a plus one in first round picks this off season, which is big for them. I do. I do just want to be clear that I'm not hating on the Christian Wood contract. I, I do like it. I just, I worry about the fact that Detroit made it painfully clear that it was moving in a different direction. And maybe that's just because the Pistons don't know what they're doing. 
but like they do have more information about him. And when we're dealing with a 15 game sample of star level play, like I think that should matter. Just the fact that they weren't willing to buy into the legitimacy of it, uh, which they clearly weren't because they could have matched that contract. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I have two. I'm going to loop them together because I feel like they're – and there's also an obvious loser that we haven't quite mentioned yet and I'm sure we'll get to. But Because uh, they're like – I don't want to say they're baby winners, but they didn't like necessarily hit home runs. Uh, what I'm going to throw out there is the, the Utah Jazz. I think we're smaller time winners. People are going to kill the Jordan Clarkson contract. He was just so unbelievably important to their bench last yeah, season. really valuable to what they do. Right, and it's, I think this was just a case of, you know, we saw it with even Marcus Morris with the Clippers. Like, you're worried about these guys leaving, and if they're able to leverage, like, the Hawks or the Knicks, like, into conversations at all, or Detroit at one point, like, you don't want them to leave. And I actually think showing a willingness to spend on Jordan Clarkson bodes well for the future of the franchise and, and how they're going to work with the, um, you know, the ownership change. Uh, but I like to bring back Derek favors as well, because now you've just decided like, you know what, we're not going to have any net negative center minutes anymore. And that's, that's fantastic because their defense absolutely cratered last season with Rudy Gobert off the floor. I believe team shot a preposterously high 67.5% at the rim when Gobert was at the floor. I think it's also important to mention Yudoka Azabuki here because even as a second round pick, he's a really good game changing caliber defender who does a lot of the same things that Rudy Gobert does. Just if, if he is going to be able to even play eight to 10 minutes per game and provide that same suffocating around the rim defense, maybe without as much switchability as you'd get from Derek Favors or Rudy Gobert, that plays into the same notion that the Jazz just are not willing to have a defensive drop off at any point in the game. And yeah, so I like that they did that there. He was and Derek Favors when he was healthy last year, like we kind of saw him peter out towards the end of the season, and that's the risk you take there. Um, but I like it. And then look, you you have Donovan Mitchell locked up. Uh, I believe he did get his player option on the fifth year, which is normally that's a concession players tend to give up, but I guess they have more levers than ever. But look, you have him uh, locked down. I think that's the important. He's more important to their future than Rudy Gobert. And I'm not trying to pit them against one another right now. That's just a fact. And then the other team that I thought did well. Uh, was Dallas. the I really like the Josh Richardson trade, and I love Seth Curry, who might be one of the more underrated defenders in the league, uh, not even just his effort level. like He can put actual pressure on the ball, even if he is a bit undersized in matchups. But Josh Richardson can defend one through four, and he is so much better on offense than he showed last season. Before he left Miami, like he kind of showed that he could you know put the ball on the floor and hit some off-the-dribble jumpers. So that that's something he's not going to be that second playmaking outlet for uh, Doncic necessarily, uh, shot creator, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but he can help there. And you got Trey Burke at a reasonable number. It does because they had the third year and they couldn't do the biannual exception with him. Like that kind of blew if you want to get into the cap minutia of that. But I still kind of like that. He had um, an absurdly scorching hot eight-game stint with them. I think he played with eight games in the bubble for them, if I'm not mistaken. And, and then he, he went off in the playoffs as well. So I, I think that signing was justifiable. And then bringing Willie Cauley-Stein back, I was happy they didn't go and spend their entire mid-level on a big. People kept saying, like, we'll go after this. And like, oh, Thompson got the mid-level. Why wouldn't you go to Dallas? Like, look, maybe you think Kristaps Porzingis won't be healthy to start the year. Maybe you think he comes back in January and he sucks. You paid Kristaps Porzingis. And you also have, while he probably won't play next season, Dwight Powell on the books, 
for not in, insignificant money. And so if you already have, let's, let's say around $40 million committed to those two, I don't want to see you spending any major money on a big. And then I think they kind of like the James Johnson getting him, like now that gives you this bigger contract to, you got off the final year of Dell and Wright's deal, which is big. If you want to chase 2021 free agents. Um, they also did that by the way, with the Seth Curry trade, because Richardson has a player option. No one expects him to pick up. Uh, but James Johnson now has a bigger contract that they can use to flip in a trade this season and take back more money if the right player's out there and they can do the mix of assets. But let me take you to my favorite move that they made this offseason. I am a Wesson Wundu guy. I'm actually surprised that uh, the Magic didn't even look at bringing him back on a qualifying offer. They signed Dwayne Bacon instead, which is, I think that's a like fine, but like why did you have Dwayne Bacon instead of Wesson Wundu? And yeah, Bacon lacks some of the sizzle of a Wundu, you could say. Nice. Nice. Nicely done. But like a Wundu is, he's at least can hold up positionally on defense. And I think people are being a little too critical of his jump shot and what he can do on offense. He's pretty quick when he's turning a corner. Yes, I was watching Wes and Wundu tape at some point during this offseason. Um, he's pretty comfortable shooting off the dribble, though he's not going to be the quickest while he's doing it. And he shot 42 plus percent from three um, from January 1st onward last season, I believe. And so there's something there. And for the, the Mavericks to take a flyer on it, on, for their part, a, a cheap cost, I think that ends up being a, a really good move for them. And so I think their offseason was something that's been like understatedly good. I would, I would agree. They have a, a ton of depth across the board. And you know, as you kind of alluded to, all of these moves do nothing to impede 2021 free agency pursuits. They have a lot of movable deals. They have a lot of new contracts that are either expiring or have player options, as, as you said, that are expected to be declined. And they still have Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. So if this team asserts itself as a premier squad in the Western Conference, which it is fully capable of doing, as we saw when everyone was healthy last year, this is already a team that can compete for home court advantage in the opening round in the remarkably deep Western Conference. They're going to be really appealing in free agency next year when everyone is hitting the market. And, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, that they are successfully straddling the two timelines with with these moves. They're they're furthering their comp their competition level for this coming season, and they are doing nothing to hinder their future pursuits. Yeah, that, that hit on all fronts, and I didn't even speak to that. Their appeal in free agency, I would assume, is going to be real. Just looking at what Luca Luca is like, you would. I think it, it was already growing after this coming after this past season, just because of what Luca was able to do as a sophomore. I mean, the the youngest player ever to finish was it top three in the MVP voting or top five? I can't remember. There's too much to keep track of right now. It's hard to remember. Top that five, the top youngest, of my head, but the youngest player ever to finish in the top five of MVP voting. Yeah, there you go. But now it's going to be validated this year, and I think that only that only leads to even more appeal. And look, uh, imagine if Kristaps Porzingis is actually good for them. Like that goes. I don't know that players necessarily think in these terms, but if they look at him and don't see this net negative asset um, over the next three years, looking ahead to next summer, that's actually super huge for Dallas. I am trying to wrap my head around who you think is the obvious loser that we haven't mentioned yet. And the two that, that are coming to mind are either the Denver Nuggets, just because they they lost Jeremy Grant. Um, they did bring back Paul Millsap and, and Jamichael Green in his place. Uh, they added Facundo Campazzo, who's another terrific European passer. Um, but they don't seem like they, they seem more like they're treading water or maybe taking a slight step backwards than big, obvious losers, or maybe the Milwaukee Bucks, just because of how the uh, the, the 
the pursuit of Bogdan Bogdanovich was just absolutely butchered, leading to tampering investigations, and all of a sudden flipping what seemed like a move that was sure to bring Giannis Antetokounmpo back into like, oh no, what's actually happening here? These were, those were not my teams, um, but those were teams I wanted to ask you about. What would you classify them as? Let's start with Denver. I think you said they tread water. My guess Maybe would be a slight step back, uh, but look, it's, here, it's more acceptable when you have Michael Porter Jr. and Bull Bull on your roster because you have so much internal development potential that you could afford to take like slight steps back in the name department. I would agree, yes, and I actually like the RJ Hampton pickup for them, just knowing that they're investing in their immediate player development, even though they're really good now. Like that's actually really cool to see, and I, I'm a I'm a pretty I wouldn't say pretty big, but I think RJ Hampton has a chance to be good. But what, Especially on a really good developmental team like the Nuggets. And they were prepared to pay Jeremy Grant. They offered him the same contract. He left on his own accord. That matters in the context. But I And the Jermichael Green signing, by the way, was fantastic. Like, that was, you know, I people were saying they need to sign another big. I, you would have said that no matter what he got or where he went, though. Let's that, be that, clear. That is true. Yes, <laughs> to be transparent. But, like, between Millsap, Jokic, and Jermichael Green – and Michael Porter Jr., your 4-5 or five rotation, and Bobo, let your 4-5 or five rotation be that. Maybe I understand wanting a, ch- like a cheap other veteran big in there, but like Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap can get you by for backup five minutes. I think what I'm concerned about and why you can argue they lost is that the road to the finals for them is going to lead through some combination of Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. They don't have James Harden if he's still in Houston. They don't have anyone to defend most of those guys anymore. You want to throw Gary Harris on uh, James Harden? Fine. You want to throw Paul Millsap on, maybe you get by with him and LeBron James, but you're looking at uh, a Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, like you lost your your two best shots at that in Torrey Craig and Jeremy Grant. I think that's why you can argue they're, they're losers. And I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that they signed like Campazzo. One, it's patently unfair that, he's, that he and Jokic are on the same team, but I really like Monte Morris, and I don't know what this says about his future in Denver. And I would question, like, can we see, like, what Campazzo actually does? His passing will be fine in the NBA, but, like, his when you go look at his three-point splits overseas, like, he's never been the most efficient shooter um, or even inside, the like, a finisher. So how does that translate? I think it was a an okay gamble, but and they probably they made that deal, I think, way before they knew what was going on with Jeremy Grant, or at least semi-before it. So I totally understand that, but I like Monte Morris better than Campazzo at this point. So. We'll have to see how that works out. I think you can. I think they took a step back, though. I really do. I think they might actually be a better regular season team, um, just because Jamal Murray might be so much better that they can go nuclear during the regular season. And they're just they're not suited for playoff success. I guess is the best way for me to flame it compared to how they were last year when they had both um, when they had Grant specifically, but even Torrey Craig. Where do you land on Milwaukee? Unless you had a rebuttal on Denver. Sorry. No, I think that's all fair. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Monte Morris fan. I wish that he would get more minutes and more opportunities in Denver. Um, we have found our Monte Morris common ground. We're here. We've arrived. I'm glad that we got there. It took a while, <laughs> took a while for you to accept that he's an all-star talent, but I'm glad that we got there. Um, with Milwaukee, you know, I'm, I, I really like their offseason, and I would like it more had they not butchered the Bogdanovich stuff. That was a kind of like, They fucked it if up. You, if you take if you take that out of the equation, if that never happens, then we're talking about them as winners. You know, like the Pat Connaughton tr- deal is not a good one. He was definitely a negative while they were on the court. But like the depth that they added with with Bobby Portis, with Bryn Forbes, with DJ Augustine, with Tory Craig, like those are all useful pieces. They give Mike Budenholzer even more 
of, of free reign to not have to play Giannis for more than 22 minutes per game, um, which, you know, is undoubtedly a positive. <laughs> um, so it's, it's weird just because the, the Bogdanovich optics messed with everything, but had that not happened, you know, and, and the, the big coup of the off season, of course, was, was getting Drew Holiday, who is an absolutely ideal fit next to Giannis, uh, next to Chris Middleton, next to Dante DiVincenzo, who they've now retained. You know where he's going to be at mentally is going to be interesting after he <laughs> was no, almost included in the Bogdanovich. Trade. There's no way. Sorry, there's no way he finishes the season on this roster. <laughs> it feels like Dante Divincenzo and a salary filler is going to be used to get them something at midseason. But yeah, there's a, that's likely. that's a little awkward. <laughs> most likely, but yeah, like I, I think if you just look at the the roster now compared to what it was going into the off season, the Bucks upgraded. They got better. They are more of a legitimate threat to not just be a, a regular season juggernaut, but a legitimate postseason contender that could very well win a championship this year. I know we said that each of the last two years, but it feels truer than ever at this juncture. But the Bogdanovich optics messed with everything. So the way I look at it is, had the Bogdanovich trade gone through, they would have had a roster or at least outlook where it seemed like they would have conceded regular season wins in the name of just being better suited to navigate the playoffs. I don't think that they're much better suited to navigate the playoffs than they were last season, which is why I think you could argue uh, they're a TBD because if this, if what they did gets Giannis to sign the Supermax, then they're winners. There's clear cut winners. But what's TBD about them is one, they made this investment in Drew Holiday. Is he going to stick around beyond next season? He has that player option for 2021. You assume that they're prepared to pay him. Otherwise, why trade for him? But will he stick around? Um, there's the Giannis Supermax. That decision is a huge part of it as well. But like, I just look at some of these moves and, uh, you know, DJ Augustine, like, I guess he's an upgrade for you, uh, or helps you. He's, first of all, he's not an upgrade over George Hill. So like, actually no. Um, but his shooting kind of fell off last season. He'll have more space in Milwaukee. I don't necessarily think he helps you in the postseason, though. Um, George Hill would help you more there. Obviously you give up George Hill in a trade for Drew Holiday. That's not what I'm arguing against. I actually like Bryn Forbes better for them than I do DJ Augustine. And so to give DJ Augustine that three-year deal, uh, that was a little bit questionable to me. I will say Pat Connaughton is alarmingly important to this roster, which is definitely a problem because they don't have like the wing depth on defense beyond their starting lineup still. And that was the issue kind of last season to lose Wesley Matthews now is big. Um, Torrey Craig is a nice pickup, uh, but he can be a shooting liability on the floor unless he's going to shoot, you know, 33% from three. How long can you actually play him? I don't know if they're any worse. They're in like that nugget situation to me where I don't think um, actually where they're TBD, I would argue it's tough to say they took a step back just because Drew Holiday is so much better than than Eric Bledsoe, and I think that's an important thing here. But it's not clear-cut in the sense that um, they were winners this offseason. That still won the, the Giannis Supermax. That has a lot to do with it. But that um, Bogdanovich deal, had that gone through, it would have been more easier to like them. I do think that they rebounded in a good way, though, like as you said. Like Bobby Portis, train wreck on defense. If he's going to put the ball on the floor, he's not going to pass it ever. Um, but he can at least hit threes if he's going to be open. And so now you preserve that spacing. Uh, and again, you've mentioned all the other ones. So they're they're in the TBD territory for me, which kind of sucks, I would say, uh, after a Drew Holiday trade. <laughs> right, right. Not ideal. Uh, you- there, there were three other minor winners that I wanted to just run through quickly before we do your big loser, if that's all right, and just uh, and just see where you landed on them. Yeah, hit me with them. The Lakers. You know, I, I don't think that... I was going to say the offseason as good as the names would indicate. Um, Montrez Harrell, Dennis Schroeder, 
Wesley Matthews as as the big additions. Um, they're probably better regular season players than playoff options for this team, which isn't great when it's a championship contender. But just the added depth is important for a team that wants to keep Anthony Davis and LeBron James healthy. So I don't think they're as big winners as the names would indicate and as their fans want to believe. But I do think they still qualify as winners. See, I was going to say the winner is the Lakers-Clippers rivalry because this is absolutely yeah. hysterical. The Clippers starting center is currently Zubats, who they took from the Lakers for nothing. Uh, and then now the, the Lakers have Harrell, who it seems like the Clippers didn't necessarily want, but it's just hysterical that he wins sixth man of the year and they uh, ostensibly let him walk um, across the hall, so to speak. So I'm with you. The talent, the value that they got in, in everyone they signed, looking at the Wesley Matthews deal, the Harrell deal, of course you make like that. In a, it's basically, it's two years at most at the mid-level. Like that's a good value for what Harrell brings you. Even Marcus All, obviously getting him for essentially the minimum, like that's a huge deal as well. I just don't know if they're the best fits for this roster. And I would have liked to have seen them, you know, Markeith Morris coming back is big for them, but they got to a situation where they couldn't afford to even think about losing KCP after trading away Danny Green. So it feels like they need like another three and D wing type, but I'm with you that you could look at the value they got in all these deals. If you tell me Dennis Schroeder is 75% of the player he was last season, they end up having a mega huge off season. Agreed. Uh, number two, I, I think they're more of real winners than minor winners, and that's the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, the biggest move was was making the deal for Robert Covington with the Houston Rockets, but they also made an intriguing upside flyer with Harry Giles III. Ennis Cantor played really well for them in the playoffs when he was there in 2018-19. Carmelo Anthony was a good fit both on and off the court, so him coming back on a minimum contract is a good thing. Uh, you're retaining Gary Trent Jr., you're adding Derek Jones Jr., you still have Rodney Hood. Like these are all these are all good moves that I think kind of validate Portland's belief that it can be more than just this middling team. I agree with everything you say on the Blazers. I really like the Covington trade, the Hood contract. Uh, I think that's a nice return play for them. He was shooting fifty plus percent on catch and shoot threes when he got injured last year. Worst comes to worst, I do believe he has an implicit no trade since they uh, re-signed him using bird rights uh, on a one-year deal with an option. That is a salary you can move, though, in a trade if you need to match salary, should he agree to it. And then I really like the Harry Giles signing, as you already mentioned. You even have more, I won't say, I don't want to crap all over Hassan Whiteside, but like you have uh, better fitting backup big play in NS Canner now. If, you know, Nurkic needs to be off the floor, you don't want to put Collins at the five or even use Giles. So I really like what Portland did, too. Even bringing Melo back, I'm okay with. I know people were kind of bent out of shape. Yeah, if you're going to tell me that he's playing over Gary Trent Jr. or you know, Robert Covington in closing time, I get it, but I'm not going to be bent out of shape unless, uh, like, depending on, I think you're built to play matchups now is what I'm saying. If you're going to close with Derrick Jones Jr. sometimes, that's fine. If you're going to close with Melo sometimes, I think that's fine too. You don't want to be one size fits all, and I think the Blazers have kind of built out their wing rotation to a point where they just have a ton of options. Yep. My, my third minor winner is the Toronto Raptors, which might seem like a weird thing to say about a team that lost Serge Ibaka and Mark Gasol to free agency, but the Fred Van Vliet contract is a great one. I loved the draft pick of Malachi Flynn, and then they made a number of, of good under-the-radar additions. Chris Boucher, who I know you love, uh, Aaron Baines, who is a, a solid veteran big man who's never going to demand too many touches, who's going to set tough screens for everybody. Tough illegal whether, screens, but go ahead. I don't know whether he or Kyle Lowry is going to set tougher screens this coming season. Uh, Alex Len is a good depth big. DeAndre Bembry feels like a really good Raptors-style player. 
where he's not going to do anything glamorous, but you know that he's going to work hard on both ends. He's going to use his speed to his advantage. He can turn the corner. He just feels like someone that, that Nick Nurse is going to get something out of. This team continues to be really deep and still have top-level talents. I'm, that's pretty bold to call them a winner. It feels like a bummer that you know four of their players over the past two years, Danny Green, Gasol, Abaka, and Kawhi Leonard, left Toronto for Los Angeles teams. But they de- they weren't definitive losers, I would say, in an offseason where they la- lost Gasol and Abaka, neither of whom was particularly important to the big picture. But I, I am interested that you, you called them winners. That's definitely an intriguing slant to take. We missed on, uh, we've covered them in depth, so I'll mention them and we can move on. Phoenix was a big winner this offseason. Um, I wasn't the. I view that more as trades than. than oh, trades. I was going to say getting Jay Crowder was big, re signing Dario Saric. Like this roster is built, getting Javon Carter back, keeping Cameron Payne. All those moves matter to me. Even Etwan Moore, I view as a nice addition. Uh, the, the move that I was actually like, the, my. Uh, my least favorite move of their of theirs was drafting Jalen Smith. I thought there was different directions that they should have gone in that spot. Still, they're kind of clear winners. Uh, the lo- I, I wanted to ask you about two teams. One is my clear loser I'll get to, and then where do you land on Philly this offseason? I think they won. They're, they're winners for sure. Uh, they, they moved the Al Horford contract. They added so much more shooting around the Simmons and B duo in, in Seth Curry, in Isaiah Joe, and Danny Green. Um, bringing back Mike Scott, Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley are interesting depth pieces at center. Like this is, this is a really good roster now. Where do you land on Minnesota? I, I, I was not a fan of, of their off season in general, mostly because they invested the number one pick in Anthony Edwards, who, as we have firmly established, I don't think is going to be a particularly great NBA player. Uh, the, the investments in, in Juan Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley are are interesting given how much wing presence they already have. Um, moving to acquire Ricky Rubio might make things easier for others, but it's also going to take the ball out of the hands of D'Angelo Russell, which is where he's best. It's going to take the ball away from Carl Anthony Towns. It's going to take the ball away from Anthony Edwards. I, f- I feel like Minnesota is pr- pr- pursuing names at the expense of cohesion right now yeah they're losers to me because 60 million dollars for malik beasley feels like a whole lot of money and i liked the ricky rubio pickup uh i think that actually gives you someone who could defend in the backcourt you can get d'angelo russell running off the ball a little bit more uh obviously having two years left and you worry about how he fits with jared culver and anthony edwards being there but i actually didn't mind that play by then and i don't really I don't really mind the Juan Hernan Gomez guy. Like, I don't think he's necessarily going to turn into anything, but it's three years, and I think it was $21 million. Uh, that's not too big of a deal. It's the Malik Beasley one is the, the more unsettling move for me. My actual... I, uh, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say about Rubio. I, I co-own a, a team in a multi-sport fantasy league where we have uh, the four major men's leagues um, in U.S. sports, and uh, we're trying to decide if Ricky Rubio is a keeper at $4. And it was difficult enough when he was still in Phoenix. And then he went to the Thunder and it was like, okay, he's going to get opportunities. And now he's in Minnesota with an unclear role. So that's, I, I'm, I'm upset about where he's gone for that reason too. That's a good, all right, fair enough. Um, my obvious, oh, I, last, last team I'm actually going to ask you for, what did you think of Miami's offseason so far? Goran Dragic was a great retention for them. You know, Jimmy Butler made it especially clear how much he wanted uh, Dragic back and he got him. But it kind of feels like they've they've just flown under the radar while maybe over-prioritizing their cap space for next season. 
Like, I don't think that Avery Bradley is a game-changing acquisition, and you're putting an awful lot of faith in continued growth from from Bam Adebayo and from Tyler Hero if, if you want to continue being a title contender. I don't know that they did anything to bolster their position or even maintain it. Yeah, the, th- the thing for me, letting Jay Crowder go, like, it feels like maybe he just wanted the, you know, the three years, but they could have basically given him, like, a one-year 18 or $20 million deal. To, he feels like a big loss to me. And uh, particularly when you're not adding someone who gives you as much, here's the word you love, optionality on offense. Like, Mo Harkless is solid, but he can't put the ball on the floor, and, you you know, maybe he'll hit his threes. I know Crowder's topsy-turvy, but he's at least someone who's a little bit more reliable and definitely higher volume than a Harkless. And, you know, Dragic back, that was a great move. And I'm just wondering, is Tyler, it still feels like they need another, like, ball handler, shot creator, and it's not going to be Avery Bradley, which means that you meet, you believe it's going to be Tyler Hero almost immediately. My one loser that we didn't really talk about, the moves that they made were fine, but the Warriors are huge losers. The Clay Thompson injury, we have not podcasted since it happened. Like, that is just absolutely monstrous. I'm not among the people that think that they should blow it up, but this has huge implications on their future. And so I'm curious one, I think you're with me. Um, the Ubre acquisition, um, signing Kent Bazemore, uh, the Brad Wanamaker one, I actually really love is probably my favorite move that they've made. Uh, the drafting James Wiseman, that, that was fine too. I just feel uneasy. I would still pick them to make the playoffs if everyone remains healthy, but like this might be the last we've seen of the title contending warriors as we were expected to know them. And that's so he- a huge loss to me. Here's my thing is is that I don't want to call them losers because injuries are ultimately beyond their control. Like it, I just I, I don't feel comfortable labeling them as a loser because one of their star players got hurt. I think that if anything, I would say that they're a winner because they navigated that well. You know, the the Ubre trade was a net positive for them. I really liked the fact that they did end up drafting James Wiseman, who I think is a really good fit there, um, instead of moving that pick for a veteran. Uh, or instead of going a different direction with like LaMelo Ball um, and, and the signings that you mentioned, Brad Wanamaker in particular, like I do think that that just adds more depth to this roster, which should have a healthy Steph Curry. Uh, they're, they're probably going to continue trying to make a move based around Andrew Wiggins' massive contract. Whether that's going to come to fruition uh, is to be determined. But I, I think if the only reason we're calling them a loser is because Clay Thompson, unfortunately, has an Achilles injury one year after the ACL tear, that the rest of their offseason, they did the best that they could with it. Fair enough. Would you, if you're them, as the final question, would you trade for James Harden? If that deal, if the deal is available to you, would you trade for James Harden? I would. I, I would, would too. I think that, uh, have we talked about it on an episode before, or was this just on the side? I can't we, remember now. Because I wrote about it. So uh, I can't remember the exact deal that I came up with. I'll bring it now as we're talking. But we were talking about whether it would make any sense and i think it i think it kind of does the deal would have to look something like kavan looney eric pascal andrew wiggins james wiseman minnesota's 2021 first round pick a 2022 first round swap a 2024 first round pick a 2025 first round swap and a 2026 first round pick and i have them getting both harden and tucker if houston won't give you tucker in that deal i think you haggle over whether you can take pascal out of that deal but those were the terms if i were the warriors i would I would do it. That's an awful lot to give up, but like I think so too. Like Steph has shown with the Kevin Durant uh, era in Golden State that he is willing to alter his playing style to best fit those who are around him. He's an elite 
off-ball weapon. You know, taking the, the ball out of his hands isn't necessarily ideal, but he can do that. And ultimately, like, if you're Golden State, you have to view what the title window is uh, and, and act accordingly. And this isn't a roster that is, is set up to kind of straddle contention now and, and future growth, especially knowing that Thompson probably isn't going to be his, his old self when he comes back from these injuries. You know, he relied so much on those quick lateral movements and moving off the ball and staying in front of guys on defense. Like that's, that's unlikely to be retained in full coming off both an ACL injury and an Achilles injury on opposite legs. So like if you, if you have an, the opportunity to add another top five player, you do it, especially knowing that he could be a good fit. I have zero to add there. This was fun. Did we miss anything? Leave a team off or were we just completely flat out wrong and you disagree with us? Feel free to hit us on Twitter at Frommel09 is Adam. I'm at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Please, please, pretty please with sugar on top, remember to subscribe and download to this podcast wherever you're consuming your podcast and whether or not you use iTunes, head over to iTunes, search Hardwood Knox, throw us a five-star rating and write a review. Those help us out a ton and we really appreciate them. Until next time, we leave you with the shout out to the future NBA's best starting backcourt of Grant Riller and LaMelo Ball. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.